0: This is a journey a journey into sound Hey, hey, hey everybody. what's up? My name is Mike Joseph. If you have been a regular listener of Radio Free Brooklyn for the past seven and a half years, you are probably familiar with my voice. However, this is the first episode of a brand new show, but it's also not the first episode and it's not a brand new show. I joined Radio Free Brooklyn in November of 2016, hosting a show called Jerry Curl Chronicles. It was a music show, ran for two hours on Wednesday nights, ran it through 2020 uh, so I had a nice little four-and-a-half-year run. Uh, after the pandemic started, at the beginning of 2020, I recorded live from my apartment. It was a great time. Uh, it was really centered around Black music from the 80s or Black-derived music from the 80s. And of course, all music is Black music, but it was geared more towards uh, dance music and soul music and hip-hop, uh, those genres specifically. Had a great run, and then at the end of 2020, it was just sort of a confluence of things that burned me out, and I decided to discontinue the show. And then a year after that, uh, towards the end of 2021, I came back to Radio Free Brooklyn with a new show called The Vibe from Mike's House, and um, it was a similar show to the JCC, only it wasn't just limited to the 80s, and it wasn't just limited to R&B and hip-hop and dance music. Uh, It was uh, a bit more wide in scope. And uh, that was a great run also. Uh, Ran until uh, last week. So another two and a half years or so uh, of doing the show. And now here we are with Journey Into Sound, which is a music show, but not a music show. Um, I will not be playing music on the show. Uh, so those of you who enjoyed hearing me play DJ and introduce you to my little record collection, that's not going to be happening here. What's going to be happening on this show is that I'm going to be talking about music. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Uh, I actually started Journey Into Sound last year uh, with my buddy JC, and it was devised as a podcast. And uh, the basic premise of the podcast was two middle-aged black dudes talking about music. And Jermaine and I have a pretty wide, collective scope of music. Um, JC worked in radio. Uh, I started out working in record stores. I've worked in the music industry for 30 years. Um, JC has worked adjacent or in the music industry for a lot of that time as well. And it was just sort of sharing our collective experience and our collective opinions uh of the diverse array of music that was out there we were running episodes once a month putting them on podcast platforms you can still find journey into sound on spotify uh most places i think except for apple where you can find podcasts it was a great time and we were having fun uh i had some issues uh last summer Uh, with regards to my living situation had to miss a month or two and then Jay got super busy uh, going back to school with work and other stuff and he had to miss a couple of months and ultimately at the beginning of this year we decided that it would be best to recontextualize the show a little bit so (laughs) what do you think that two people who are extremely busy maybe too busy to do a monthly podcast you're going to do, have a weekly radio show. (laughs) Uh, And and that's the reductive uh, version of what's going on here. Um, So for a few reasons, the vibe from Mike's house, uh, we decided to discontinue that. One reason was just that it got a little tired. Uh, I was recycling themes, certainly recycling songs. Uh, It got to be a little bit boring. And just sort of unexciting. And I couldn't think of a real way to bring life into the show, particularly because I was having trouble booking guests for it. And I think, look, I get tired of hearing my own voice. I was doing two podcasts and a radio show Um, where I think I shine the most is interacting with others. And there was not a lot of interactivity on the vibe for Mike's house. So that's reason one why I decided that I needed to pull the plug on that. The second reason was a much more logistical reason. Um, I live in Brooklyn, but the part of Brooklyn that I live in is pretty much the opposite side of where the Radio for Brooklyn studio is. Those of you who live in New York City uh, are probably quite aware that the MTA, the Metropolitan Transit Authority, gets a little wonky on weekends. And there are service disruptions, service interruptions, service cancellations. All sorts of things happen on a weekend in New York City. Which can delay or render completely impossible uh, being able to travel from one part of the city to another part of the city. And I tried a whole bunch of different configurations to get from my apartment to the studio. Um, and it didn't help that the train that is closest to me, the Q train... Uh, has been rerouted or unrouted for service uh, into Manhattan on weekends for almost a year. Uh, I would say since spring of 2023 up until the last week of January this year, uh, I would say 75% of the time, service has been disrupted uh, in some way, shape, or form, which made it a bear for me to get to the studio. So a trip that, on a good day, took 45 or so minutes... Could sometimes take an hour and a half. Uh, there were a couple of occasions in which I literally could not get to the studio at all. Unless I spent like 35 bucks on an Uber. Which, you know, I'm balling on a budget. That's not necessarily the uh, most feasible of options. So just getting to this studio is kind of a pain in the butt. So. long. This is a really a long, convoluted uh, uh, explanation here um we decided to fold journey into sound into uh what was the vibe from mike's house's time slot um cut the show from two hours to an hour um and make journey into sound more of a mike thing as opposed to a mike and jc thing um jc is welcome back anytime there's no beef there's no this isn't um this isn't daryl hall and john oates so, there's, there's no issues at all. I love JC. He's one of my favorite people. Um, his schedule is just out of control right now. And uh, he is not at a, in a place where he can do a week-to-week thing. Um, but JC will definitely be on this show. Uh, as much as I can have him, uh, he is welcome here anytime. So, if you're listening, Jermaine, you have carte blanche. Uh, and you know this, to be a guest on the show Anytime. Uh, What I'm going to do, aside from this episode, which I'm doing completely solo dolo by myself, is have different guest hosts on every week to talk about music. And I cast the net uh, to about 12 or 15 of my music-loving friends, some of whom I've done podcasts with in the past, all of whom I know are... Music people, they're people I converse with on a regular basis, talk about music. We have text chains, we have discords, we have all this stuff. We talk about music on a regular basis. And it's just a matter of translating those conversations, in some cases repurposing those conversations, from a text chain or an email chain or discord chat into a radio format. So that is the plan. That's what we're going to do with Journey and Sound. Um, This show is also going to live as a podcast, so it will be on Spotify and Apple in all of the same places that the previous iteration of Journey Into Sound was, Uh, and I hope that if you are not available on Saturdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to listen, that you find it in your heart, uh, if you're interested enough, to listen via uh, podcast platforms, and also. If you listen to it as a podcast, it can be a much quicker show than an hour because you can listen at 1.25x or 1.5x or 2x and get through the show in 30 minutes. And uh, that way you don't have to necessarily carve out an hour of time to listen to the show. Although I would imagine if you are listening to the show, you're doing something, you're washing your dishes or washing your car or babysitting or driving or doing something that is not just like sitting staring at your computer (laughs) or your phone listening to me speak so that whole like long winded mess is to say uh i'm here mike joseph isn't going anywhere uh it's a format change uh it is a shrinkening i guess shrinking shrinkening isn't a word uh so instead of a two-hour show it's an hour show and uh you know i like playing people records um but We have Spotify, we have Apple Music, we have all of these things. You can listen to songs on your own without me talking in between them. So, uh, we're just gonna do the talking part now. (laughs) For those of y'all who are new, um, my name is Mike Joseph and this is my show. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. Uh, As I said earlier, I've been in the music business for 30 years, um, 31 almost. Uh, I started my career at Tower Records in New York City, um, on the Upper East Side, and, uh, worked there for a couple of years. Uh, those of you who remember Nobody Beats the Wiz, may it rest in peace, may Tower Records also rest in peace, because, um, Tower doesn't exist anymore outside of Mail Order and, I think, two freestanding stores in Japan. Um, Nobody Beats the Wiz is definitely dead. That has been dead for a long-ass time. Um, so I went from retail into, uh, distribution. I work for a music distribution company and have worked for the same company for the last 19 years, uh, and have a fair amount of institution, institutional music industry knowledge that I will be bringing to the show on occasion. In addition to my career in the industry, uh, I have worked as a journalist, um, pop music critic, For a few different sites, Uh, Pop Matters, um, uh, the Boombox, Ultimate Classic Rock. I've written for all of those sites. I had my own blog called PopLurd, which ran for six or seven years uh, in the 2010s. Um, Stopped writing about music basically uh, in 2017, and probably the main reason that I did that. There were two reasons that I did that. One is just that I felt like I was getting out of touch with popular music, I still feel that way probably even more so now. Um, I There was a point in time, and there was probably a good 30 to 35 year stretch, when if you showed me a list of the Billboard Top 40 singles, I could probably sing you 30 of those 40 songs. And probably around 2010, it got to a point where maybe I could sing you 20 of the Top 40 songs. Now, you're lucky if I can sing you five of the top 40 songs. Uh, I'm just not interested anymore. Um, modern-day music, uh, modern-day popular music kind of escapes me. Uh, and you know what? I'm a guy in my mid-40s, mid-to-late 40s. Mid 40s um, modern-day popular music is not meant for me to appreciate or enjoy or listen to. I could care less about all of the little, little rappers running around. Um you know i i appreciate a lot of the, i appreciate a lot of the folks that i love taylor swift i love bruno mars uh drake is okay um but there's also a lot of stuff that i just don't like and i'm not particularly interested in liking so just you know i am somewhat divorced from what is super super popular on the music scene right now and the other thing that kind of ruins my uh interest in writing about music uh, was that in 2016, everybody died, right? You had Maurice White, you had Prince, you had Bowie, you had George Michael, you had Prince B of PM Dawn, you had Fife Dog, um, just so many legends, so many musicians that were impactful to me uh, passed away, and it just kind of uh, uh, deflated me, and um, I I felt like In 2016, every third thing that I wrote was an obituary or a tribute, and it just didn't feel right in my heart. Um, So I don't think I consciously made a decision to stop writing about music at that point, but I think uh, internally, uh, subconsciously, I was really discouraged from writing about music and that sort of ended my music journalism career. And having a blog, I mean, first of all, uh, blogs don't partic- don't weren't making money, most blogs weren't making a ton of money at the height of music blogs. Uh, by 2016, 2017, a lot of the hype had died down on that stuff and um, there was really no money to be made. Uh, it was a constant scramble for viewership. It, it just, it, it wasn't fun. So I decided to stop doing it and um, I'd also, I mean, I think it is not coincidental that I started doing radio, or specifically Radio Free Brooklyn, at the end of 2016. And I felt like I was able to communicate a lot of the things that I was communicating from writing in verbal form uh, via the various shows that I was a part of in the past. And um, it, I guess this kind of took the place of it. So um, that's kind of uh, my CV, my resume, like my history in music. And beyond that, look, even if I didn't professionally work in music and have worked in music my entire adult life, the fact of the matter is I've been a music fan my entire life, you know, (laughs) adult life, child life, all that stuff. uh, I am completely a fan of popular music I can't pinpoint a specific origin story for that. Um, I grew up here in Brooklyn, grew up in East Flatbush, East 45th in church. Uh, Shout out to everybody in East Flatbush. Uh, That is uh, forever my home. Um, But grew up in a uh, fairly big family and there was just always music around. Um, the house that I grew up in, uh, rest in peace to both my grandparents, um, my mom's parents, uh, the house I grew up in, there was just music all around. My grandmother sang, um, never like professionally or anything like that, but she had a beautiful voice, would always sing along with the radio and there were records everywhere for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, my mom, uh, was a teenager when I was born. Um, My aunts and uncles were mostly teenagers. Um, They were buying records. And, um, you know, the house that I grew up in was always filled with music. And there's a part of me that feels like, oh, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of records. And at most, there were maybe like 200. Um, But still, we had a pretty prodigious record collection. Um, I got my first record player as a Christmas present when I was five. Uh, and I think it was because, like, we had the Grown Folks record player where, like, my aunts and uncles and cousins would all play their records, and I started touching it, and, uh, uh I got in trouble for it, or as much trouble as a five-year-old should get into for touching grown-up stuff, and I think they were just like, look, for this little kid... Like, blows some speakers out or knocks a stereo system down on himself or whatever. Let's get him his own thing. He's clearly interested. And uh, they bought me a little Fisher-Price record player when I was five years old. And we had a, a collection of 45s um, that were not used on a, a, a especially regular basis. And I inherited those. And it was a bunch of, you know, music that had been... You know, anywhere between five and ten years old at that point. So it was a lot of stuff from the mid '70s, late '70s, um, and that's kind of what I cut my teeth listening to. Uh, you know, playing these records by the Supremes and Earth Wind and Fire and the Jackson Five and and uh, Barry White and, and all these other folks. At the same time, uh, this was pre MTV. I didn't so. MTV started in 1981, I did not personally have MTV in my home until 1994, Uh, I was living on my own by that point, Um, so I was late to the MTV train, but there was also uh, plenty of opportunities to watch music on free TV, so you had Soul Train, Soul Train was on every Saturday morning or early afternoon, and uh, on some occasions it aired reruns like Late Friday Night. So there was Soul Train, there was American Bandstand, uh, there was Solid Gold. Um, all of this was like Saturday programming. Um, later on, there was Friday Night Videos, uh, New York Hot Tracks, um, all of these shows that I grew up watching and then got a little older. And um, there was BET, so there was Video Soul and Video Vibrations and Rap City, And of course, if you grew up in New York City, there was Video Music Box. Uh, big, big shout out to the legend uh, Uncle Ralph McDaniels. Uh, Video Music Box, uh, Channel 31, Public Access TV in New York City. Fantastic show that ran, that was on every day. And would play uh, a collection or selection of videos that was rooted in hip-hop but was not just hip-hop. I mean, they would play, you know, Leaders of the New School and Brand Nubians and Run DMC and and Houdini and all that stuff. They would also play, you know... BBD and Johnny Gill and Bobby Brown and Paula Abdul and they would also play like Madonna videos Um, and they would also play Living Color videos and Fishbone videos so it was a really eclectic show rooted in blackness um, that was super super influential for me Um, and then on top of all the video shows there was a radio and New York City radio in the 70s and 80s and early 90s was just an amazing thing to behold, particularly now when you think of, like, radio consolidation and, well, a combination of radio consolidation and the ability to listen to any fucking thing you want to listen to whenever the hell you want to listen to it. Um, when I, I'm going to do it when I was your age, when I was growing up, there were people that were curating what was on a radio station, and the dude or the woman that was on the air was curating a specific listening experience for you. Um, I'm really fortunate to have grown up in an era, uh, and in a city where the selection of music played was super eclectic. Like even on Z100 and WPLJ, which were the quote unquote white stations, um, the pop stations, you would hear new edition. You would occasionally hear like dance hall reggae, um, Occasionally you would hear like a crossover hip-hop record, you hear LL Cool J or Heavy D. Um, And then uh, my personal North Star as a radio personality is a gentleman by the name of Frankie Crocker. And Frankie Crocker uh, is a legendary radio personality, uh, probably most famous for being the program director at WBLS in New York City, uh, the Black Liberation Station. Uh, he was program director there in the late 70s and early 80s, and again, played an incredibly eclectic array of music. First time I heard The Clash, it was on WBLS. First time I heard Culture Club, it was on WBLS. Um, first time I heard Bob Marley, and this was at a time when black radio did not play reggae music. Like, for those who are too young or, or, or not aware, Bob Marley was considered really like a rock artist. It was, you know, college rock stations that were playing Bob Marley. R&B radio did not play Bob Marley in the Wailers, did not play reggae at all, until dance hall kind of blew up in the early 90s with like shabba ranks. Um, But uh, Frankie Crocker played everything. It was like, if if it gets your ass moving, he was gonna play it. If it sounded good to him, he was gonna play it. Fuck a format and it was really instrumental in the way that I viewed music. And even with the the Jerry Crow Chronicles, that whole show was basically a four year long tribute to Frankie Crocker. Um, Just the, again, the eclecticism of the music that he would play uh, was so important to me. And all of that together, like all of the TV, all of the radio, the records at home kind of formed my musical tastes Um, and it, it, I'm not going to say I have the widest taste in the world. Like there's stuff that I don't listen to. I don't listen to a lot of metal. Uh I don't listen to a lot of international music. Um I don't listen to anything that's particularly noisy or dissonant or discordant. Um, you know, my bass is still three and a half minute pop song with a hook and a chorus and, you know, regular like verse structure and all that stuff. But I love you know I love pop, I love funk, I love soul, I love R&B, I love hip-hop, I love reggae, I love calypso and soca, I grew up listening to that stuff. I love salsa and merengue, I grew up listening to that stuff. I love new wave, I love hair metal, I love yacht rock, which is different from soft rock. I grew up listening to light FM, so all that late night Delilah stuff, Richard Marks and air supply, I love all that shit. Um... You know, came of age in the early 90s, so Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, Smashing Pumpkins, all of that stuff. gangster rap, um, house music, uh, all of that stuff. Um, everything from from fucking Black Moon and Boot Camp and, and, and Gangstar and all that stuff to the orb. Oh, You know, all of that stuff is stuff that I kind of have a finger in. So um, um, I I would like to think that I have a more wide musical taste than the average person. It can also just pull music history. I, you know, I'm I'm a voracious reader. Um, Most of what I read is nonfiction. Uh, A lot of what I read is biography. Um, I grew up reading music reviews and ultimately grew up to write music reviews. So uh all of the music publications, whether it be Spin or Rolling Stone or Right On Magazine, Blackbeat, Word Up, Jet, Ebony, all of that stuff uh, uh, influenced my musical taste. Um, so again, it's, it's pretty wide, and I think what I want to do with this show is speak to that eclecticism, speak to that wideness, and have a variety of people on the show talking about different things. So it doesn't feel like we're rehashing the same topics week after week after week. Um, I'm interested in hearing other people's perspectives. I'm interested in having friendly debate, uh, not argumentative like so much podcast and social media discourse is these days. Like, I I just want to... uh, laugh and learn, <laughs> you know, if I can distill it into that, laugh and learn, talk about music, have a really good time, and, um, I think it's going to be really fun, and I think I'll use the second half of this show to talk about some specific things going on. I mean, I've been going on a fucking monologue for the last 27 minutes, and this will be one of the few shows in which I like. I don't intend to not have guests ever again for the duration of the show, whether it lasts a year, or five years, ten years, whatever. There will be guests on, I hope, every subsequent episode of the show. This is the only time you get to hear my voice and my voice alone. Again, uh, with the vibe from Mike's house, I felt like I was kind of speaking into a void and I didn't get that back and forth that uh, really energizes me. And the only reason I'm doing this first show alone is A, because I think it's kind of cool to do an intro show by myself. And also because none of my guests are, none of my prospective guests are available to record before February 10th, which is when this show is going to go live, Saturday, February 10th. So, starting on the 17th, it'll be Mike plus people. It won't just be Mike. So, uh, shit. I lost my original train of thought. I think my original train of thought was that I was going to talk about specific things Uh, going on in music uh, over the course of the second half of the show. Um, But before I do that, I should let you know that Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Uh, We've been around for almost nine years. Uh, Later this spring, well, not even later this spring because spring hasn't even started. We haven't hit the beginning of the spring yet. In a few months... Radio Free Brooklyn will be celebrating its ninth anniversary. Yes, folks. Radio Free Brooklyn has been on the air for nine whole years. And uh, we have uh, uh, an array of great programming, uh, from music shows to talk shows, uh, political shows. Um, Of course, there's Queer State of Mind, the show that precedes mine. And I love, again, love the fact that Radio Free Brooklyn is dedicating three hours... ...in the middle of Saturday, which is, I think, the busiest listening day of the week for Radio Free Brooklyn... ...and devoting it to programming that is hosted and produced by queer black people. That is super, 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 super fucking important. Um, At any rate, 501c3 nonprofit, um, we are volunteer staffed. Uh, None of us gets paid for doing this. Actually, we pay Radio Free Brooklyn uh, to have our shows on the air... Uh, we pay member dues, um, but uh, it, this is a, a volunteer staff station, and the way that we keep the lights on is uh, largely via donations made by listeners like you who can support this station as a whole or support individual shows. And how do you do that? You go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org donate. Uh, no donation is too small. Uh, I know tax refund season is coming. So if y'all get a little bit of change with your tax refund, you know, throw a buck or two Radio your Brooklyn's way if you can. Uh, there are, Granted, there are plenty of worthy charities uh, that could use your attention right now, um, but if you do have the funds to spare, we would greatly appreciate it, of course. All of your donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. And once again, that URL is radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. We greatly appreciate you. And look, if you can't donate, you can support by telling people about the programming that you enjoy. Uh, if you uh, tag Radio Free Brooklyn on social media, we are Radio Free BK on Instagram. I think we're still on Twitter slash X, but uh, that place is toxic. I don't go anywhere near that place anymore. Um, but if you're there, that's cool. Uh, shout out your favorite programming, tag, tag Radio Free BK, and uh, let's grow our listenership and keep Radio Free Brooklyn on the air for at least another nine years, hopefully more. Uh, thank you for your support of this station. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Alright, so what is happening this week that people are talking about? People are talking about the Grammy Awards. And... It's an interesting topic to bring up. I don't want to spend any parts of this show ever focusing on anything uh, tremendously negative. Um, I certainly am not a Pollyanna by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think that um, it's important to not put negative energy into the world, uh, into a world that's filled with negative energy. Um, so I I think it's really good to focus on positive sides when you can focus on positive sides. Uh, I did not watch the show and there was a period of time, I mean, look, uh, the first time I remember watching the Grammy Awards was 1980 and I was three years old and I remember seeing the Doobie Brothers, uh, singing What a Fool Believes and that's how I can pinpoint when it was. And... I had a thing about award shows from that point forward uh, and I would say throughout the 80s and 90s and early 2000s I might have missed the Grammys and the American Music Awards and the MTV Video Music Awards and the Soul Train Music Awards and the Billboard Awards. I would catch them every year when I could. Then streaming came along and YouTube came along and was like, oh! I don't have to spend three and a half hours of my life trying to find the 20 minutes of this show that I'm actually interested in, (laughs) and I can just do whatever it is else I'm doing and then catch the highlights the next morning. And I've been doing that for most of the last couple of years. Uh, Last year, I was fortunate enough to actually be able to go to the Grammy Awards. Um, I am a member of the Recording Academy through my job, and... um, it was great to be in the building uh, as the show was being made. I uh, I probably would have had a better seat had I stayed home and watched it on TV. I would have been able to see more of it, uh, or at least see it more uh, directly. But it was also cool to see how the donuts are made, right? It, it's cool to see the performances getting set up and see what people do during commercial breaks and all that stuff. Um, And it was something to cross off the bucket list, even though I didn't really, really have it on the bucket list to begin with. Uh, Either way, it was a cool experience. Once in a lifetime. I doubt it will ever happen again. Uh, Grammy tickets are expensive, y'all. So uh, I I stayed home this year uh, and didn't watch the show just because I wasn't super interested. Uh, I did watch a fair amount of the pre-show. Um, which streamed live on YouTube, and I could kind of go back to the beginning, and again, <laughs> I'm becoming so lazy. Uh, watch it at 1.5x, and just kind of, like, speed through the parts that I wasn't particularly interested in. But got to see, mo- you know, most of the Grammys are, that are given out are given out during the pre-show. So I got to see a lot of my favorite artists win. Uh, shout out to Michelle and Cello Cello who won the first ever Grammy for Alternative Jazz uh, for her album, Omnicord Real Book, which is one of my favorite albums of 2023. Uh, Michelle is one of my favorite artists of all time. Uh, I've loved her for 30 years, since the first time I heard Plantation Lullabies. Uh, She was the first concert I ever went to, and it's a shame that she only has two Grammy Awards. Um, But she won, so congratulations to her. Uh, Congratulations to Jason Isbell, um, who I have had the distinct pleasure of uh, knowing in a professional context. Uh, he won two Grammys, uh, I believe uh, in the folk and country categories. So shout out to him. Shout out to Chris Stapleton, another one of my favorite singers. Um, shout out to Dan Wilson, uh, fantastic songwriter, one third of Semisonic of Closing Time fame. Uh, great human. Uh, he has appeared on my podcast, Detoxicity. Um, He won with Chris Stapleton for Best Country Song. Um, Shout out to my friend Brian Carter, uh, who won a... uh, It it was uh, stage music, Broadway music, and uh, forgive me, I forget what uh, the name of the show that he did the music for is, but uh, Brian Carter is a fantastic musician and a great drummer, and I'm going to go on Instagram right now because I'm super embarrassed and... um, find out what the name of uh, his show is, and and he's also halfway to an EGOT. So I've had somebody on my podcast who is like halfway to an EGOT, and that is super impressive. Uh, some Like It Hot is uh, the show that Brian does the music for. So shout out to him. Uh, some other great, like Sizzle won a couple of awards, so uh, you know, good for her. Um, Killer Mike, sweeping, almost sweeping the rap categories. Uh, best rap album, best rap song. Um best rap performance, maybe. Um, but Killer Mike uh, winning three Grammys and then getting arrested. <laughs> which is crazy. I uh, I didn't watch... Or I wasn't watching the show. I was actually out to dinner with a friend of mine. And uh, on the way back, I get a text from my buddy Eli. And he's like, Yo, what happened with Killer Mike? And I'm like, What do you mean what happened with Killer Mike? Like, he got arrested uh, after he won his Grammys. And it turns out he had a battery charge. Um, which, I mean... I've not met Killer Mike in person. Killer Mike does not look like the type of person that you would want some beef with. He looks like he could fuck your shit up. Um, so all that to say, like I wouldn't test Killer Mike. Um, and his name is Killer Mike. So at any rate, uh, he's out of jail. Uh, it doesn't really sound like he's worried about the, the charge at all. Um, and that actually spurred me to give a listen to Killer Mike's album. Um, which I, I have a weird thing with Run the Jewels, where, like, I appreciate them. Um, they're kind of like Rage Against the Machine. I appreciate them, don't want to listen to them. Um, but, uh, the couple of songs I listened to off of Killer Mike's album, which is called Michael, I actually enjoyed quite a bit. So I'm going to dig into that a little bit more. Um, the most talked about moments from the Grammys, uh, were... The performance by Joni Mitchell. Uh, Joni Mitchell strangely had never performed on the Grammy Awards before. Uh, 80 years young. Joni Mitchell is one of my five favorite songwriters of all time. Uh, Court and Spark and The Hissing of Summer Lawns are two astonishingly good albums. Um, And uh, she performed both sides now on the show. Uh, And I just love that she is around getting her flowers at a time when, you know, a lot of her contemporaries are passing away. So uh, I'm glad that, that she is getting her flowers while she can smell them. Um, and also, Tracy Chapman coming out of wherever the hell she's hiding. Montana or Wyoming or, you know, <laughs> wherever her, the Tracy Chapman bunker <laughs> is where she is being a completely private citizen. And God bless her for that. Um, she put out her albums. She made her money. And uh, I assume she is in either semi or complete retirement has no social media footprint to speak of uh, and is just living her life. But um, country singer Luke Combs had a hit last year uh, with his version of Fast Car, which is you know certainly the best-known Tracy Chapman song, although not her biggest hit. Give Me One Reason is her biggest hit. Um, but Tracy Chapman popped back out and performed Fast Car with Luke Combs, and uh, I'm going to catch that on YouTube uh, when I get the chance because... Um, I heard that it was a very, very good performance. Uh, Tracy Chapman looks great. Um, Luke Combs is also a cutie. But uh, I, shout out to Tracy Chapman for just getting her flowers right. Um, how many black woman lesbian folk singers were around in the late 1980s and able to sell millions and millions of records and have a sustained career for nearly two decades? Um, I, you know. Big shout out to Tracy Chapman, that first album is a, a masterpiece, and she continued making good records, so don't just think of her as Fast Car, or, excuse me, Fast Car and Give Me One Reason and About A Revolution and That's It. Um, she has a stellar catalog, so um, if you are new to the Tracy Chapman experience, or you only know the handful of hit singles... Uh, Dig a little deeper. Um, Just a fantastic songwriter with a super, super rich, amazing voice. Uh, um, And Luke Combs is pretty dope, too. So uh, check him out. Um, Other than that, I don't know much about the show. I I watched Jay-Z's speech. uh, And, you know, before I started to record this, I read a piece from Nelson George. Uh, Nelson George is a... um, very respected black journalist, uh, was r and music editor at Billboard in the 80s, um, and, uh, you know, is just kind of a, a, a an elder in music journalism, black music journalism specifically. And he didn't call Jay-Z by name, but he certainly uh, was referencing him in a blog post that he wrote today about kind of, you know, self-aggrandizement and victim mentality. Um, And for those who didn't catch his speech, Jay-Z basically called the Recording Academy out for his wife, Beyonce, having the most Grammys of anybody in history and never winning an Album of the Year award. Okay. Certainly within his right to do that, of course you're going to defend your wife. You're going to speak kindly and positively of your wife. I don't deny that Beyonce is incredibly talented uh, music taste is subjective, right? There is no best. For real, for real, for real, there is no best. Um, you ask 10 people what the best is, you're going to get 10 different answers in a lot of cases, and they're all right. So, regardless of what actually gets the trophy, like, none of that is indicative of what actually is the best, because that is a personal decision, right? Music, art is subjective. Um... It's not like a track meet, where the person that runs the fastest wins. There is no running the fastest in music. That said, on a personal level, I don't think any of Beyonce's albums were the best album, certainly not my favorite album, I should say, made during the year in which they were released. I don't know if there's ever been a year in which a Beyonce album has been nominated for album of the year when I thought it was the best album of the albums nominated that year. Thinking back to last year's nominees, uh, if I was an Academy member and I had a vote, I would have voted for Kendrick Lamar. Um, And uh, a friend of mine, uh, Will, uh, posted on Instagram today that uh, he thinks if anybody should have beef uh, with uh, the Album of the Year Grammy not being awarded to them, it should be Kendrick. And and he also kind of expanded that to say hip-hop in general, which I think is a pretty valid point. Um, Only... Two hip-hop albums in history have ever won the Grammy for Album of the Year, and they weren't really rap albums per se. There was The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, um, which in, on which Lauryn Hill does significantly more singing than rapping. I would say it's, you know, 80% R&B to 20% hip-hop. Um, and then there's Speaker Box* to Love Below by OutKast, uh, which, you know, Big Boy's part is hip-hop, but 3000's part of the album is pretty much non-definable. The same way that like Prince Music is uh, uncategorizable, um, The Love Below is not really a hip hop record. I mean, and Andre 3000 does very little actual rapping on that album. Um, so they're hip hop adjacent without being fully, fully, fully hip hop. That said, to Pippa Butterfly, uh, even like you know I, I, I don't remember what else was nominated that year, but to Pip Butterfly is one of my favorite albums of all time. It is from an artistic standpoint, it is musically sound. Um, it is lyrically sound, it connected to the culture um, it, it just it hits all of the notes um, in a way that Beyonce's music to me does not. I don't think Beyonce is a particularly insightful lyricist. Um, I think she slogans a lot and, you know, I think there's value in that, but I don't think it is, uh, you know, Kendrick won a wanna Pulitzer Prize. Beyonce ain't never going to win a Pulitzer Prize. So, uh, you know, without being super critical of Beyonce, I would say that Kendrick and arguably Kanye, uh, have more of a beef. Um, and look, Purple Rain didn't win album of the year. Bruce Springsteen has never won an Album of the Year Grammy, I don't think. Um, you know, there are plenty of artists who are uh, uh, beyond legendary that have never won a Grammy for an Album of the Year. And I think, like, calling out a specific artist, particularly when you're married to them, for, uh, like, that, that feels kind of gauche. And it, I don't know. All right, it, 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 it doesn't really sit comfortably with me. Um, and you know, the way that fan engagement and fan culture exists now, there are so many people out there with just slavish devotions to musicians and no sense of, uh, of subjectivity. Um, and it seems to manifest itself particularly in artists like Beyonce, like Beyonce fans, Mariah fans, Nikki fans, Michael Jackson fans, um, who are just so like, Stuck in this cult of personality that they have no sense of of, of subjectivity. It just I don't know. You're kind of like feeding the the um you know you you're 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 feeding the monster there. It just feels super weird. Um, but at any rate, I, I I heard that the show was really good. Um, and if you enjoyed it, you enjoyed it. If Grammys mean anything to you, great. Um, if they don't, there's plenty of other. Uh, uh, If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it doesn't. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I think that's kind of the uh, the most eloquent way to put that. But uh, yeah, Tracy Chapman, Joni Mitchell. Um, I, I'm so glad to see those. And you know, also that so many of the major Grammy winners this year were women. And I think that the majority of the great music that was made in 2023 was made by women or assigned female at birth non-binary people. Um, like my favorite albums of last year were, you know, Michelle and Deggie Ocello, who I just mentioned, Janelle Monet, um, Paramore, and they won two Grammys, um, Tracy Thorne of Everything But The Girl, Arlo Parks, uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse Ware, um, most of the music that I enjoyed that was made in 2023 was made by women, so, uh, very rightfully. Uh, Women took center stage at the Grammys, you know, whether it was Taylor or SZA or uh, Victoria Monet or uh, Miley Cyrus. Um, So shout out, shout out to all the women out there making incredible music. Um, Boy Genius, which isn't really my thing, but shout out to them. Um, Yeah, a lot of great music out there being made uh, uh, by women. And again, you know, I know Jill Monet identifies uh, as a non-binary uh, person, so, you know, with respect to that, um, they all made great music, so go check them out if you haven't already. Speaking of the Grammy Awards, uh, we should talk about a documentary that recently came out about a song that won a ton of Grammy Awards back in the 80s, uh, The Greatest Night in Music, I believe the documentary is called, it is about the song We Are the World by USA for Africa, which was a bunch of the biggest singers at the time. This was uh, recorded in 1985. And they all came together to record a song for charity, specifically uh, for famine relief in Ethiopia. And the precedent for this recording was actually set the previous year uh, by a musician named Bob Geldof. Uh, Bob Geldof was a member of a band called the Boomtown Rats. Uh, the Boomtown Rats had a hit single a few years before called "I Don't Like Mondays." It was big in the U.S. It was kind of a moderate hit here in the United. Uh, rewind. It was a big hit in the U.K. It was kind of a moderate hit here in the U.S. And um, in the U.K., Bob Geldof was a known quantity. And thus uh, decided that he was going to make a song to benefit uh, famine relief in Ethiopia and made a song called Do They Know It's Christmas, which now you hear on the radio every single holiday season. But it gathered a lot of the big British superstars of the era. So you got Duran Duran and you got George Michael and you got Phil Collins and Sting and Bono and um, Paul Young, uh, uh, everybody who was anybody uh, in the British music world, just about, was on that record, and, uh, basically, the, the Americans were, like, uh, particularly black American musicians were, like, how are we letting these British people make a record benefiting our people, and we're not doing anything to, uh, replicate or support that, so, Quincy Jones, uh, got together uh, Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson, who were probably two of the four biggest musicians in America at that point. I mean, it was probably Michael Prince, Lionel Bruce at that time. And um, they made some phone calls and got some friends and and got 40-something musicians to record this charity record, um, which was a huge number one song. Um, sold millions of copies, was, I think, the biggest-selling single in American history for a time, Uh, won the Grammy for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. And nearly 40 years later, uh, there is a documentary about the process that led to the recording of the song, as well as the evening that the song was recorded. It was recorded uh, directly after the American Music Awards. Um, Really only had one night to do the recording, so everyone kind of had to be on their A-game. Uh, it is a really interesting documentary. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it, if I was going to enjoy it. Um, and it turns out that I thoroughly enjoyed the documentary. It was quite entertaining. Um, a lot of the performers from the song who were still alive uh, participated in the documentary. So you get Lionel Richie, uh, Kenny Loggins, uh, Dionne Warwick, uh, Cyndi Lauper, um, Sheila E., um, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, folks offering their opinions um and I, what I find interesting there's some cool behind the scenes stuff and I'm not going to give away too many spoilers I will say that uh the most interesting character over the course of the entire recording is probably Bob Dylan. Uh so it's interesting to see him getting walked through the process there. Uh there's also a really interesting segment with Al Jarreau and uh you know, watching Quincy orchestrate everything is kind of kind of cool. Uh, Stevie and Ray Charles cutting up like there's there's some great material uh, in that documentary. Uh, but I urge you to watch. It is on Netflix, so check that out. Um, and the plan is to have some friends pop in uh, in one of the upcoming episodes. Uh, shout out Julian Villard and Bisky um, to uh, potentially talk about this documentary and Greg Mayo as well. Um, so, we'll be talking more about the We Are the World documentary in a bit, so, uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, it's early in the year. There has not been any new music that I have particularly cotton to uh, so far this year. Um, Billy Joel has a new song out, um, which is actually pretty good. So, uh, that is really the first piece of new music this year. Oh, Justin Timberlake as well. Um... The Justin Timberlake song, Selfish, is not as good. I mean, it's okay, um, but as the kids would say, it's mid. Um, It's kind of just R&B by numbers. Uh, And, you know, Justin can sing, but it's also weird to hear his voice auto-tuned and and all that stuff. I, I don't know. Both songs are good. I don't know if I would qualify either of them as the greatest work made by either artist, but it's nice to have them back. Um... The new album by Brittany Howard, a lead singer of the Alabama Shakes, uh, will be out by the time you're hearing this. Um, And uh, I I was never really a huge fan of the Alabama Shakes. I I saw them live right before their first album came out, and I was like, okay, these kids are bringing the goods in concert, Um, but their albums didn't really hit me. So I was really surprised when uh, Brittany's solo album, Jamie, came out, and I was like, yo, this shit is dope. Um, she's kind of better as a solo artist than she was with the band, um, so I'm really excited. She has a song out now called What Now, but the album will be out by the time this episode is released, uh, so that's the first real new release that I'm looking forward to. JT's album, as I mentioned, uh, will be out in a couple of months, um, so looking forward to that. Lenny Kravitz has a new album coming out, and he's also been in and out of the news quite a bit lately, um... He's on the cover of People Magazine uh, talking about his... Can y'all believe Lenny Kravitz is going to be 60 years old in like a month and a half? Well, no, we're only in February. He's going to be 60 years old in like 90 days, which is crazy. Uh, Lenny, I feel like, has actually gotten better looking with age. Um, And, of course, he's an incredibly talented musician. Like, I stand, every black... I mean, as much as I love R&B and I love hip-hop... I love when black artists make music that it is not expected societally of them to make, right? Um, so people like Lenny, people like Tracy Chapman, people like Brittany Howard, um, even Janelle Monae, uh, uh, Allison Russell uh who want a grammy and uh, I recently uh started listening to the music of she's dope uh Arlo Parks who I mentioned earlier Joy uh Kuhn who was robbed of not, uh, not nominated for any grammys uh made one of my favorite albums of last year just you know black folks who make rock music and country music and folk music or music that like Michelle and cello is completely undefinable by genre um, I just you know as as A black person who kind of grew up being against the grain and often had his had his black card put into question by his peers and sometimes by even his elders, Um, you know, I think there is a very limited uh, uh, perception of. Or there was. I don't think it exists so much in, in this generation as it did in my generation and maybe generations before. Limited perceptions of what black folks were capable of or what they should enjoy, what they should like, how they should talk, how they should act, all of that stuff. And I love that there are all of these artists who have had lengthy, sustained careers doing what the hell they want to do and being unapologetically black. I love it. So, you know, anytime Lenny puts out an album, even though Lenny's at a very inconsistent level, qualitatively career, I will always stand for Lenny. I will always look out for Michelle. If Tracy Chapman decides to crawl out of whatever hole she's in and make new music, I will be there for that Tracy Chapman music. I just love everybody who doesn't just go for the okie doke this is what is expected of us. Who is like, I'm gonna be myself. I'm going to be unapologetically myself. Um, Just that attitude in general means so much to me. So I'm grateful for that. Want to give a birthday shout out I can't believe, first of all I can't believe I've almost filled up an hour (laughs) Talking by myself Want to give a birthday shout out to Bobby Brown Uh, Bobby Brown turns 56 this week 55 or 56 I can't remember which, I think it's 55 Um, I'm going to my trusty cell phone Again to look up How old uh, Robert Barrisford Brown is Uh, Bobby Brown is 55 Years old Um, so big shout out to Bobby Brown, you know, first of all, Bobby was a monster, like back in the late eighties and early nineties, like there was Michael and then there was Bobby. Bobby was the heir apparent, um, just the consummate entertainer, the way that Beyonce is, the way that Justin Timberlake is, the way that Bruno Mars is, um, could, you know, could dance, made great records. Grew into his singing voice, um, I'm sure Whitney had a bit to do with that, um, but became a very good singer, uh, and, uh, you know, just was kind of a whole package. You knew if you were going to, see, going to a Bobby Brown show, or you were going to see Bobby Brown on TV, that you were going to get energy. Um, and, you know, he had a solid, like, you know, if you get a Bobby Brown greatest hits record and you throw that on, you're going to get like a dozen bops, uh, songs that are dope. Um, and, you know, he kind of got put through the ringer and some of it was very much self, uh, uh, I don't know if you call it self-sabotage or whatever it is. You know, Bobby went through some shit and did some shit and maybe stuck his nose in some things that he shouldn't have stuck his nose in. Um, but you know what? He is still here. Uh, he is a survivor. Um, he has gone through quite a bit. Um, uh, you know, he's lost two children. Um, he's had uh, some some significant health issues, um, and you know he still goes out on the road solo. He goes out on the road with New Edition. You know he does his thing. Uh, he's you know coming by his money honestly. Um, so big shout out to Bobby Brown, uh, who recently celebrated a birthday. Another recent birthday. Uh, someone whose music I enjoy quite a bit is Anthony Hamilton, um, R and B singer. Uh, really reminds me of Bill Withers, uh, has been around, uh, been making records for a little, probably over 20 years at this point. Um, but just, you know, sort of a throwback to an older era of singer. Like, has a grit in his voice and also is a very, very good songwriter. Um, so shout out to Anthony Hamilton. Hey, and that is my time. New Latin World is up next. It's Mike Joseph. Uh, I will be back next week with guests. Detox Pie Guy on Instagram. See you next week. Peace.